Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 545 for the 4th of June, 2017. This week, problems with Microsoft's OneNote synchronization finally drove me to Evernote. It's still not my preferred choice, but at least it synchronizes. When we visit websites, we encounter bits of code that often assist us, but may also track us. Some sites have only two or three of these, others have dozens. In short circuits, some older protocols are still active even in the latest editions of Windows 10. Let's consider how to turn them off. A former head of the National Security Agency and the Central Intelligence Agency has harsh words for Edward Snowden and the Russians. In spare parts, only on the website, some hardware and software manufacturers install annoying pop-up reminders. These can be turned off. An examination of how Twitter is used to distribute disinformation. Kmart suffers another credit card breach, but mainly involving old-style credit cards. And the story of a defense contractor that accidentally posted top-secret information on a publicly accessible site. Well, I've talked about Evernote in the past and how I never really could make it my friend and how I stuck with OneNote. Well, I'm now using Evernote. The day of reckoning occurred when Microsoft OneNote turned every computer I own into a sludge-infested brick, really. And based on my research, it's not an uncommon problem. I needed both synchronization and good performance, and apparently Microsoft can't provide that. If you use OneNote on a single computer, it's fine. But if you try to use Microsoft OneNote in conjunction with Microsoft Cloud, you might be in for trouble. Specifically, any attempt to synchronize the computer with the cloud-based storage will consume all of the system's resources. Trying to use OneNote or any other program during the sync process is painful. Press a key and five seconds or more later, the computer will respond. I actually timed it. So typing a four-letter word, and I was thinking some four-letter words at the time, would take about 20 seconds. The sync process never ends, even though it has successfully synced. One might think, or expect, or hope, that simply closing OneNote would resolve the problem. It doesn't. The only solution, once OneNote has slowed the computer to a crawl, is rebooting the computer. That's ridiculous. And the fact that people have been complaining about this for more than five years is absurd. Some months ago, I cut short a test of Evernote because of privacy concerns that have since then largely been addressed by Evernote. The application's free version synchronizes only two devices, though, so it was clear I'd have to pay for the $35 a year plus plan. There's also a $70 per year premium plan, but it has features I don't need. That's a third of the cost of the entire Office 365 program, which includes OneNote in addition to Word, Outlook, Excel, PowerPoint, and Access. 
Well, I considered the options and found there really aren't any. Unlike OneNote, Evernote was designed from the beginning with connectivity and multi-device synchronization in mind. When it comes to formatting text, OneNote is the clear winner. Even though its abilities are limited, Evernote's abilities are primitive at best. The primary function is to organize information, not to make it look pretty, so I can deal with those shortcomings. Evernote's methodology is completely different, though. My initial impression was, and continues to be, that the on-screen presentation, at least for Windows users, is considerably better using the web-based version than the desktop application. Even so, I decided to use the desktop application because it stores information locally, in addition to the Evernote website. Evernote syncs information immediately and does so without slowing the computer to a crawl. It can more or less import information from OneNote, although the results were far less than spectacular. If nothing else, this at least gave me a good reason to review some of my antique OneNote notes and delete them. Compared to OneNote, Evernote seems primitive and fragile. For example, OneNote tables display properly regardless of the device they're created on. Several of the topics I stored in OneNote use tables, and I'm used to being able to read them on all devices. An Evernote table created for viewing on a desktop system will be all but useless on a device with a small screen. Changing the widths of columns in tables behaves unpredictably in Evernote and varies depending on the device being used. OneNote has custom tags that can be used on a per-line basis in Notes. Evernote offers only a single to-do checkoff box, so I can no longer see the status of an individual item on a list, only yes or no, it's done or it's still open. I used OneNote as a program planner for TechBiter Worldwide, and at a glance I could tell if a particular program segment had been started, was awaiting feedback from a source, or was complete. With Evernote, there's only an option to place a check mark in a box to indicate that it's complete. Pasting content seems to be unpredictable with regard to the formatting. After pasting text that includes formatting, it's not always possible to remove the formatting. After searching for something in Evernote, the bottom line of the current note is obscured by the search box. Overall, the interface just makes Evernote feel like an application that was written in the 1990s and never updated. Why Microsoft is incapable of creating a workable synchronization process for OneNote is a mystery, particularly in light of the company's claims about the Office Suite's ability to create a workplace environment where information can easily be stored across entire teams. For note-taking applications, we are forced to choose between a system that has all the visual flair of an application from the 1990s, Evernote, and one that has adequate visual capabilities but also has a propensity to turn the computer it's running on into a brick. OneNote. Neither is what we need. I would switch back to OneNote in an instant if the application could synchronize notes across systems without the performance degradation. Additionally, I pay for OneNote as part of the Office 365 program, and that makes having to pay for Evernote annoying. But at least it works. So the bottom line for Evernote, now that I've finally had a chance to really review it, is three cats. It's not as flexible as OneNote, but it does work. Although I prefer OneNote's interface, I can't bear the poor performance it causes. If Microsoft can't or won't fix the problem, the only viable solution is Evernote. 
When switching, you'll need to do your homework because the operational characteristics of Evernote are so different from those of OneNote. There are still some OneNote capabilities that I miss in Evernote, but at least it doesn't destroy the computer's performance. You'll find additional details on the Evernote website. There is a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. When you visit a website, you'll probably be loading one or more additional components, usually in the form of JavaScript. These small bits of code may provide useful functions such as ShareIt, which is one I use for TechBiter Worldwide. I've also enabled StatCounter because it provides information about how many visitors the site receives each week. Other bits of code may be present to capture information and provide it to advertisers. TechBiter doesn't knowingly have any of these. Note my use of the weasel word, knowingly. We'll come back to that in just a moment. I have installed a plugin called Ghostery so that I can see how many of these little bits of code come with the websites that I visit. These range from just a few, three for the Worthington Public Libraries, to more than 50. Tech Republic serves 51. These numbers are subject to change as the website operator adds and removes functions but they also may change because of actions taken that are not within the control of the website manager. And that's why I said TechBiter doesn't knowingly have any code that captures information about users. As I started working on this report, I thought I'd be able to boast that TechBiter uses only Google API code to provide a cascading style sheet reset, Google Analytics, StatCounter, and ShareThis. But Ghostery showed nine trackers, not four. I could find no references in the page code to the other trackers, so I contacted the folks at Ghostery and said, what's going on here? And here's what they told me. The most likely happening is that they are being piggybacked off the actual scripts on the page. Script A that exists in your HTML runs, but part of the running is bringing in scripts B, C, and D. This is very common, they said, and it accounts for 90% of the third-party tracking scripts that are injected in each page you visit. I can say that I don't like it that applications I've added are bringing along some friends, but all of the applications I've added do provide useful functions that are non-invasive. So it was time to research the others. Fortunately, Ghostery provides a way to do that, the Ghostery plugin makes it possible for me or you to block extraneous bits if you want to. Ghostery is available as a plugin for most browsers. I've written about it previously and I recommend it. So let's see what also might be on the TechBiter page. Aggregate Knowledge. Newstar Platform One operates Aggregate Knowledge, and they say it's an audience management and optimization platform that helps advertisers optimize advertising creative and manage their audience segmentation. Hmm. Well, there's no advertising on the website, so why is some tag-along function here? If you have Ghostery installed, I recommend blocking this one. Atlas. And when I returned to check that one, it was gone. In its place, I found Drawbridge. It's described as a function that provides mobile advertising technology and cross-device data from desktop to mobile. Yep, you want to block that one. Then there's Distillery, which creates a data-driven marketing solution 
that's brand-specific, cross-channel, and tuned to perform. And, they say, we deliver those solutions via our platform or API at whatever service level makes sense for you. Block that one. LiveRamp was also gone, but Exolate was in its place. It provides a marketplace for publishers to sell their anonymous data to advertisers for ad targeting. Eh, block that one. And Weberama, it's a French analytics and behavioral targeting company. Their solutions enable advertisers, agencies, and publishers to optimize online marketing, they say. Yep, you want to block that one. I recommend allowing Share This, Google Analytics, Google Custom Search, and StatCounter. Block the others. In short circuits, Microsoft automatically activates numerous protocols that most people don't need within the operating system. In some cases, these can open the door to security threats. One of these protocols is version 1 of the Server Message Block, or SMB, which is also sometimes called the Common Internet File System, and Microsoft previously called it Microsoft Windows Network. SMB1 has been deprecated because of security issues, but it is still active in many systems, including the latest Windows 10 systems. SMB version 2 and SMB version 3 are safer and are needed, so they need to be left alone. Microsoft warns, we do not recommend that you disable SMBV2 or SMBV3. Disable those only as a temporary troubleshooting measure. Do not leave them disabled. But the original server message block protocol should be disabled. Fortunately, this is an easy registry change. Now, easy and registry change probably should never be in the same sentence because small errors in the registry can cause big problems. You'll find a link to a good checklist to review before running RegEdit on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Microsoft also has some good guidance on protecting the registry, and you'll find a link to that, too. To deactivate SMB1, you just start at H key Local Machine, navigate down through System to Current Control Set, then Services, Landman Server, and Parameters. Right-click Parameters, which will be in the left column, and create a new DWORD 32-bit value called SMB1, and then set the value to 0. Once you've done that, remember to reboot the computer to deactivate SMB1, and you will have just made your computer a bit safer. Retired Air Force General Michael Hayden, who headed the National Security Agency from 1999 to 2005 and the Central Intelligence Agency from 2006 until 2009, says there are only two presidents in the world who doubt Russian involvement in the 2016 election, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. And he said that Edward Snowden's leaking of information about the NSA has caused many problems. Hayden's address to primarily business audiences stressed the need to be resilient, and he said the private sector will need to be involved in defending against malware and other kinds of cyber attacks. 
specifically Google, Apple, and Facebook because they can react faster than the government can. In addressing the NSA's collection of data, Hayden said that Snowden failed to show the agency was doing anything illegal. Hayden discussed cyber attacks on Iran's processing facilities, saying that he admires whoever did that. Now, it's widely believed that the National Security Agency and Israel worked together to create Stuxnet, which was later used by enemies of the U.S. against civilian targets. Hayden says there is no doubt that the Russians had an effect on the election. The question is, he says, if there was collaboration with the campaign. Hayden was addressing the ZeroCon conference in Boston. In addition to blasting Russian involvement in the election, he also said that what former NSA employee Edward Snowden did was really destructive. Instead, Hayden said, Snowden should have gone to Congress with his concerns. There's no need to go to Congress for spare parts. In fact, it's right there on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and that's the only place you'll find it. This week, some hardware and software manufacturers install annoying pop-up reminders, but these can be turned off. An examination of how Twitter is used to distribute disinformation. Kmart suffers another credit card breach, but mainly involving old-style credit cards and the story of a defense contractor that accidentally posted top-secret information on a publicly accessible site. Oops. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.